Hi friends, this is Will Dyer, the pastor here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the message that you are about to hear will give you some joy in your day. But more than that, I hope that this message will connect you to Jesus. The mission of our church is to connect people to Jesus Christ in a community of faith. And it is my greatest hope that the message you are about to hear will better connect you with Jesus and His way in the world. Good morning, friends. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And in just a moment, we are going to read verses 2 through 6. First thing, for you watching online this morning, I just want to take a moment and say uh, thank you. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to worship with us. There are a thousand different things that you could be doing, and yet you think it is important to worship and celebrate the resurrected Jesus on this day. So I'm grateful whether you watch every single Sunday or maybe this is your first time and you're just checking us out to see what the First Baptist Church is all about. I'm glad that you are here. The second thing I want you to know is that this morning we are celebrating communion together. And so if you need to hit the pause button, you can run and grab some juice and some bread and then come back and rejoin with us because at the end of the sermon today, we will celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, whatever you call it, this good gift of Christ's body broken and his blood poured out. So with that, I want us to turn our attention to this story of God and God's people, uh, which we will read from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. And this is Paul writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, but also writing to us who were here in 2021 on this day. So let's begin reading from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So today, my friends, we are wrapping up our series, Discover the Difference, where for the last month we have been asking a really central question. What is it that makes us here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta different What makes us different than other churches? But more importantly, what makes us different than the world that is around us, than the culture in which we live? So really, this entire sermon series, which I did uh, first in 2019, and today and this month has been a refresher, is really about our DNA. Who are we as a people? And so if you are a guest, uh, I want to invite you, go back and check out what you might have missed. Because what we have said so far is that what makes us different is that we are a people of joy in a culture of happiness. What makes us different is that we are a place where everyone belongs in a world that is increasingly exclusionary, right? What makes us different is that we are a people who put our faith into action. We believe that what we believe 
that what we say we hold true has to be lived out in our daily lives. So if you've missed any of those three sermons, go to our website, discoverfbc.org, or you can download our podcast and you can learn more about what makes us different. But today I want us to wrap up this series by uh, exploring the final differential between us and the culture. And here's what it is, that we are a people who believe in community, that the difference is community in a world that is increasingly isolated, in a culture where people are increasingly living a lonely and tired lives, that we here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta are people who believe in the essence of community, that if we want to live in the way that God intended the way that God wants for us, then we have to live in radical and authentic community with each other. And that is part of what makes us different than the culture that is around us. I think we would all agree, right, that one of the things COVID taught us is that we yearn for community. Whether you are religious or not religious, whether you have been a follower of Jesus your entire life, or if you have <coughs> written off faith long ago, I think one of the primary things that COVID taught us is that we are hardwired to be in relationship with each other. I mean, if I talk to one person, I talk to a thousand who over the course of the past year and a half, when, when things were really at their worst and, and we were not going out and we were not worshiping together and we were not going to restaurants and doing everyday normal things, what I experienced people telling me was that they felt this loneliness and this isolation that they had never experienced before. And it was heartbreaking. I will never forget one friend telling me that it had been over a, uh, six months since they had hugged another human being, since they had touched another human being. That is terrible. And yet it is something that we all at one level or another experienced as we marched through the pandemic. And now as it seems like, thank God, we are emerging maybe on the other side of this thing, what we all value is community. What we all value or, or want in our lives is the ability to be in relationship with each other. I was reading an article from the National Institute of Health not that long ago, and, and it was talking about the scientific uh, revelation, the scientific data, which is now showing us just how bad isolation is for your health. In this study by the National Institute of Health, what they talked about, this is insane to me, was that being in isolation, being alone, right, being lonely is worse for your health than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Doesn't matter if they are Cools, Marlboro Lights, Marlboro Reds, Camels with no filter, right? It is awful for your health to live in isolation. Worse for you than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It is worse for your health to be in isolation than it is to be clinically obese. This National Institute of Health study told us that if you are isolated, if you are lonely, 
then you have an over 50% greater chance of dying a premature death than someone right, who, is, who is living in relationship with other human beings. Even uh, the most ardent atheist bio- biologist, a guy like Richard Dawkins, is now going to say things like we are social animals, that hardwired into our DNA is to be in relationship with each other. And we know that, right, from a biological perspective. Now we know that from a cultural perspective. I mean, just think about the fact that, guys, just a few months ago, in May of 2021, there was a new Friends documentary that was released, right? The 25th anniversary of Friends and HBO made this uh, new documentary about Friends, that NBC sitcom, and everybody just went bananas because the sitcom, one of the most successful in all of television history, was about this community of friends and the life that they shared together. And millions and millions of people watched this new show on HBO about the Friends documentary because, right, we would all, I think, agree that there is something inside of us that yearns for connection. There is something inside of us that yearns for community and relationship with other human beings. We know that from a cultural perspective. We know that from a biological perspective. And what I just love about this new research is that science is now finally catching up with with something that faith has been teaching us all along. Science is now finally getting on the same page with the heart of religious experience, which from day one has talked about how we are made Not to be isolated individuals, but we were created to be in relationship with each other. I just want to take a moment and draw out how we know this to be true from the lens of faith, right? Uh, I know some of you are going to be like, well, don't talk about theology, but hang with me for just a moment. Because in Christian theology, right, for those of us that follow Jesus, at the center of our idea about God, At the center of our theology, our study of God, is this radical, revolutionary idea that God is one, but God is also three. That God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is this radical community of self-giving love. That's the way that Richard Rohr describes the Trinity in the Divine Dance. See, God is one, but God is three. And at the very center of God's existence is a community of self-giving love. There is this theologian, his name is Leonardo Boff, one of the most important theologians of our day. And in his book on the Trinity, I want to read a quote to you that he has talking about how God is relationship. Leonardo Boff says that the Trinity understood in human terms as a communion of persons. It lays the foundations for a society of brothers and sisters, of equals, in which dialogue and consensus are the basic constituents of living together both in the world and in the church. 
Leonardo Boff says that as God is a relationship of self-giving love, so we as human beings created in the divine image can understand that we are created to be in relationship with each other. At the heart of our conception of who God is, there is relationship, there is intimacy, there is self-giving love. And we, if we are to live into the fullness of who God calls us to be, then we have to understand that living in isolation is not a viable possibility. We have to live in community with each other. Now, I know some of you are watching this morning, maybe some of you that are watching for the first time and you're not a Christian and, and you're listening to me talk and you're thinking, well, whoa, 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 pump the brakes on that for a minute. Because our culture, in fact, does offer community. I mean, as a matter of fact, Will, you said it yourself just a few minutes ago that culture yearns for community. And at one level, what I would suggest to you is you're right. You are right. But, but what I would say to you is that culture, while yearning for community, culture, while wanting to be in relationship, doesn't in fact offer us that deep level of connection, that deep level of community that we are all searching for. Instead, what I would say to you is that what culture offers us is a parody, right? Think for a minute about social media whether it's Facebook or Instagram, whatever platform you use. I mean, you can go on your social media account, and as of writing this morning, I have 2,700 friends on my social media account. I will put up a picture, and tons of people will like it. And Sarah gets on, and she's like, Will, I don't even know who two-thirds of these people are. You, that, you know that's true. You know that's true in your own life. And here's what I would say, that social media does one thing very well. It connects us. Social media connects us very well. So I can go, for example, and look up a friend that I had in the eighth grade, right? And I haven't seen him in 15 years, but I can go online and just and I can see what he's doing, I can see where he lives, I can see how many kids that he has, and it connects us. But there is an infinite qualitative difference between connection and community, right? There's an infinite qualitative difference between connection and community. And what I would suggest to you is that culture offers us connection, and it is entirely true that people are more connected than they have ever been. And yet, we are also more isolated than we have ever experienced in the whole of human history. That's true in a very practical way. This guy, Robert Putnam, wrote an incredible book a few years ago called Bowling Alone. He's a famous sociologist from Harvard, and he's writing this book talking about the state of society in America in particular. And he talks about how in the 1950s and before then, things like bowling leagues and Kiwanis clubs and uh, rotary those things were filled with people because we all understood that the heart of being alive is to be in community. But something has shifted. And now, 
Kiwanis clubs, they sit empty. Rotary clubs, closing every single week. Bowling leagues, a staple of American life, right? Putnam, the title, bowling alone. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of connection, but we don't have a whole lot of community at a philosophical level. Right? The writer Jonathan Sachs, who I mentioned to you pretty regularly, the, the former chief rabbi of Great Britain who sadly died last year in his book, Morality, he talks about how we have made this shift from the 1960s from a society of we to a society of me, and that we have lost the, the, the fact that we is how we were created to live and we now live in a culture of individualism and isolation. And yes, friends, we are connected, but we are not living in community. And the results are absolutely disastrous as depression levels are higher than they have ever been. As suicide levels are higher than they have been in decades. I saw a report yesterday that over 96,000 people in the United States alone died of opio opioid drug overdoses in 2020. We have a lot of connection, but we don't have community. And one of the things that we understand as followers of Jesus Christ is that if we want to live into the fullness of who God created us to be, then we have to be in relationship with each other. We understand that and that is part of what makes us different and that is part of what makes Paul different as Paul writes in this incredible letter to the church at Ephesus. And I'll tell you guys just a little bit about this letter, right? It's a circular letter going to a number of different churches, but it began in Ephesus. And Ephesus is this unique city because it is one of the thriving uh, megatropolises, so to speak, of the Roman Empire. It's a cultural trading hub. There are people coming from all over the world as they, sit, as they go through um, this uh, Turkish port city. And, and Ephesus had this tiny little group of Christians. Ephesus had this tiny little band of people who had come together, and what they had begun to say is that Jesus is Lord. They had begun to say that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, and now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, ruling over all of creation, right? The, this little band of Christians in Ephesus had begun to take an entirely countercultural position when they said things, like Paul says in what I read to you, that Jesus is Lord, now, in the context of Ephesus, you have to understand that as a Roman imperial city, Ephesus would have on a regular basis had celebrations and festivities where they honored the Caesar, where they honored the Roman emperor, whether it was Augustus, Nero, Caligula, whoever it was. And one of the things that every Roman city would have said, it was on their coinage, it was on their walls and inscriptions is that there is a Lord and his name is Caesar. And in order to participate in the life of the city, 
in order to go into the marketplace and buy your groceries, in order to go to the temple, in order to basically live a normal life because religion and politics were not separated. Religion was part and parcel of the fabric of their world. And in order to go into the marketplace or to live your daily life on a regular basis, you would offer tribute and say with your mouth that Caesar is Lord. And there's this tiny little group of Christians in Ephesus who began to teach this incredible thing, that Jesus is in fact Lord. And I got to tell you, that would have put them at an incredible disadvantage. They wouldn't have been allowed to do basic level things in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is writing this letter to them so that they can understand that living in isolation, it is going to be something that now will naturally occur because they're not allowed to do normal things. They're not going to be able to go and live daily lives like the rest of the Roman citizenry. And it is now important more than ever that they, that small group of people who call on the name of Jesus, that they live in radical community with each other. <laughs> that they understand that if they are going to live and live well, that they live in community, in relationship. So Paul says, be patient with each other. Be kind with each other. Bear each other's burdens together and understand that you are one. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one church of which we are all a part. And if you are going to make it Ephesus, if you are going to make it church at Ephesus, then you have to understand that you will make it better together. Because God intends for us to be in community with each other. Jesus, in his farewell discourse in the Gospel of John, one of the final things that he says to the church to the apostles before he goes to the cross and eventually ascends to the Father. One of the final things that he does is he prays for his church in John chapter 17. And one of the things that he prays, and this is so important for us to understand, he prays that the church would be one, that the church would be community, that the church would be in radical relationship with each other. And we are now living in a world where isolation is the rule of the day, where individualism is rampant and we are a culture of me. And the church has an opportunity to show that living well as a culture of we is a possibility, not only a possibility, but it is in fact the way to life. One of my favorite writers, and I've talked about him before, is this guy named Eugene Peterson. And Peterson wrote a book uh, called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a series of meditations, of sermons on the, uh, the Psalms of Ascent in the book of the Old Testament. And one psalm in particular that he writes on talks about how we are a community created to be in relationship with each other. 
And I couldn't help but think of it when I read from Paul's letter where he says there is one Lord, one faith, one God and Father of us all. I couldn't help but remember those words from Eugene Peterson. I want to read a quote to you from him right now where Peterson says, if God is my father, then this is my family. And the question is not, am I going to be a part of this community of faith? But how am I going to live in this community of faith? We all understand, and part of what makes us different as people here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta is that we understand community is at the heart of who we are. And I want to pause for just a minute and mention to you that I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt (laughs) that community is difficult. Do you know how I know that? Because people are difficult, you are difficult, and I can be difficult too, right? Community, real authentic community, just like living in a family. It can be a strange and disorienting experience. People will disappoint us. People will let us down. People will not live up to our expectations. That is a fact. Community, it is difficult. But what I want you to know this morning is that it is worth it. It's the easy road to be individualistic and selfish. It's the easy decision to live only thinking about you. But if God is a relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if God is at God's heart, a community, and we want to live well, then we have to understand that while it is difficult, friends, it is worth it. And I know that it is worth it because I have seen it happen. I know that it is worth it because being here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta now for four and a half years, I have seen this radical community lived out time and time and time again. Just a couple of years ago, and this happens more regularly, but this example from a few years ago will never leave my mind where one of our dearest church members was diagnosed with an illness that she knew was ultimately going to take her life. She never let that depress her. She never let that get her down, but she continued to live with vibrancy and with love. And what I watched as her health began to decline and she knew her days were beginning to be numbered is that those community members from our church those people that were part of her Sunday school class and her women's Bible study, they began every single day to gather around her just like they had for years and celebrate a birthday party with her and to pour a glass of wine because God is good this community gathered around her and her family in the midst of her last days, and they helped her to know, and they helped her family to know that she and they have never been alone, that God is with her, and so were they. It was this profound experience that in the lowest of moments, community can make us alive. Just last week, 
a church member here gave birth to their very first child. And I got to watch as members of their little small group in their Sunday school class. First thing they did, we got to set up a meal train. We got to make sure that these folks get taken care of. We got to make sure that they know they are, sh- they are showered with love and grace and kindness. They got to know that they're not raising this baby on their own. And so many people are hungering and thirsting for something beyond themselves. And culture offers connection. But the people of Jesus Christ, we offer community. That is one of the things that makes us different, is that we understand this great paradox that if you want to know the true me, that you find it in the context of we. (laughs) Yeah, we understand the importance and the vitality of community. And I've experienced that time and time again, not only from watching other church members, but watching and experiencing it in my own very life to come in as the pastor of this church. And I constantly have friends remark to me about this, that will, it's like you arrive in a city and immediately you've got hundreds of friends. You arrive in a city and immediately you're part of this network of of thousands, literally thousands of people. And you are loved and you were prayed for, and you're given meals and embraces of warmth and love. And it has nothing to do with how special I am, or my kids are, or my wife is. And it has everything to do with how amazing you are. Because we understand here at the First Baptist Church of Augusta that if we want to live into the fullness of who God calls us to be, then we do that in community with each other. (laughs) And some of you are online this morning, and, and it has been a rough road for you. There are significant numbers of people that are living in isolation, and you're connected, but you're not part of a community. And you are lonely, and you're angry, and you're tired, and you're sad, and I could go on and on and on, and you are looking and begging and praying for something more. And if that is you this morning, I want you to know deep down in the depths of our bones that you are welcome here. You have a place at the table here in this community. God wants better for your life. If you're listening this morning and you feel that isolation, you feel like there is nowhere else for you to go, I want you to know you are not alone. You are not alone. God is with you and so are we. You can live well in community. Some of you need to hear that this morning. I mentioned a few minutes ago at the beginning of this sermon that the way we're going to end is we're going to take communion together. 
why take communion together and really the heart of why we're going to end this series and end this sermon with communion is because we believe that the one thing that unites us, the one thing that keeps us together as this incredible place and community, the one thing that we can count on time and time again is Jesus. Because he has been there in our past, he has been here in our present, and he will be there in our future. We are united and centered around Jesus Christ. He is the reason our community exists. And it is appropriate that we take his body broken, his blood poured out, and we remember that central fact. But the other reason I want to take communion this morning is that traditionally, going all the way back to the earliest time of the apostles, that communion was celebrated around a table. Communion was celebrated as this feast where there is bread for everyone. And there is wine for all who are thirsty. And in a number of different traditions, when we talk about communion, what we say is it is a, a foretaste. It is a sample of the kingdom of God. And one day we will feast at the heavenly banquet where there is endless community, where there is endless love, where there is endless relationship with God and with each other. And so it is only appropriate that we end this sermon series together as a community by taking of the bread and the cup. And so what I would like to do now is to enter in to that time together. But before we do so, if you would join me as we pray. Oh God, we are so grateful for this morning, for the opportunity for my friends who are watching online to, to experience God, your goodness through this word that we have read and now in the coming moments through this communion that we will take together. And while I'm here in this room and friends are watching from the beach, from their homes, from wherever they find themselves, God, the thing that holds us together is that body broken, that blood that was poured out for the sins of the world. And so Lord, help us to receive this good gift Lord, today, someone is watching. Multiple people are watching online, and they are lonely, and they are tired. And God, on this day, instill it in their heart to come and be a part of something bigger than themselves. God, someone needs to know today that if they want to find the true me, that they will do it only in the context of we. God, as you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, represent a community of love, so may we, O oh God, here in this place, represent that same sort of generosity out into the world. We ask now that you would continue to be with us as we enter this sacred time of sharing the good gift, communion, Eucharist. Lord, this is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So friends, what I would like to do now is to say to all of you watching online who, to use the, the language of our tradition, earnestly repent of your sin. You know there are places in your life where you are not living in to who God wants you to be. All of us who recognize that fact, 
And we seek to live at peace with God and with one another. We seek to live in relationship with each other and with God. This morning, you are welcome at this table. You are welcome to feast at the kingdom of God to all who call on the name of Jesus. Welcome to this table. And I want to pass on to you the tradition as it has been given to me and to all who have come before us. That on the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, Jesus gathered with his disciples in an upper room. And they sat at a table together and they shared a meal. This community that had been together for three years and shared life and love and joy and sadness and hope. They shared life together. And Jesus, they shared this meal. And after the meal was over, Jesus took a loaf of bread Symbolic of the Exodus, the the bread from heaven that fed the Israelites as they wandered through the desert, that bread that got them from slavery into freedom. And Jesus took a loaf of bread and he held it up before his disciples and he began to explain that this bread now takes on a new significance because of Jesus. And he said to his disciples and to us that this bread is my body, which is broken for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So take it and eat it. My friends, take your bread. And I say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. So take it and eat it. Hmm. And likewise, after he had done so with the bread, then Jesus took the cup, uh, wine, juice, whatever you are using in your context. And Jesus said to his disciples using Passover imagery that the blood, the wine that took you from slavery to freedom in the Old Testament and the Exodus now takes on new meaning. That this, this wine, it is now my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. So take it and drink it and do this in remembrance of me. And so my friends, take your cup and I proclaim to you that this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Take it and drink it. When the meal was over, the story tells us that the disciples sang a hymn and then they went out from there. They sang a song celebrating the goodness of God. They sang a song together as community. And we will do that as well in just a moment. But today, again, I want you to know that you have a place at the table. You have room in this community. You are not alone. You're created for us to be together. Before we sing our final hymn, take one more moment and let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for this gift, for your body broken, for your blood that is poured out. God, continue to be with us, not just as individuals, but God, continue to be with us as this incredible community. And Lord, someone watching today deep down in their bones. Help them to know they are not alone. God, they are loved by us. 
and this body broken, this blood poured out, what it also declares today is they are loved by you. God, help us to know we are not alone. Continue to be with us now as we worship you, O God. This is our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.